Howdy, everybody. How's it going today? Doing okay? Everybody's all right? I can't see any hands. Anybody doing bad? Yeah, you wouldn't raise your hand anyway, right? Everybody would see you then. Well, welcome. Glad that you're here. I'm happy to be here today so we could sing and uh, get into God's Word, worship Him together. And, uh, and I just want to let everybody know, I mean, if, if you, you know, we don't have any Life Kids class today, and so if your kids are in here today, just, uh, you know, we have kids, and they were little once, and I remember how we would be like, oh, you know, when they made a noise or something, oh, you know, as, you're, as their parent, you're like thinking it's really, you know, super loud trying to control it, but I just want you to know, don't worry about it at all, okay? Because nobody in here uh, worries about that at all, right? Nobody in here, right? Okay. If you do worry about it, raise your hand. Yeah, that's what I thought. So we'll remove you from... No, I'm just kidding. But uh, anyway, no, no worries at all. We like life in here. Life is a good thing. We are in Great Lives from God's Word, this series that is going until July. Remember, we started in January, or was it, no, it's February, something like that, right? I don't know, remind me. So it's about February, and we're going through J- uh, July, the first few weeks in July. So uh, it's quite, uh, you know, quite a distance we're going with this. But uh, we are in week three of who? Esther. We've been through, uh, we've gone through the first four chapters of Esther so far. Today is our last day in Esther, and guess how many chapters Esther has? Ten. We've gone through four. We're not going to be able to touch on everything that's in there, okay? And the, the fact of the matter is this series is really based that way anyway. Like, there's no way we could get through all of the lives and all of the details of every life that we go through in this series. So the goal is that we will, uh, you know, kind of get it going and then you can go home and read it on your own in greater depth and detail. And so if you need a Bible for that, let us know. We will give you one so that you can go further in that if you need to, okay? Uh, also today, uh, you know, again, we, this is the only graphic that's going to be up there. If you have your Bible, awesome, or if you have your phone with a Bible app on it, that's great too. If not, we put out Bibles on every row, so you can grab one of those and follow along if you need to uh, as we get into the Word. Because I like kind of hear pages rustling myself, you know, kind of, you know, that's kind of a cool sound, you know, type of thing. So uh, anyway, that's me. I'm a weirdo. All right, so, so far we've come through four chapters. Uh, you know, we're going to do the 30,000-foot flyover today uh, on the rest, but I will say uh, previously in the book of Esther, you remember like when you're watching a show on TV and they say previously, in the, you know, this or that. Anyway, previously in the book of Esther, King Ahasuerus has sidelined Queen Vashti, right? And he selected a new queen in Esther, We see that Mordecai, so far, he had uncovered a death threat on the king's life, and Haman hatched a plan to kill all of the Jews and also very slyly got the king to okay this evil plan as well. And then they both sat down to have a brandy and a cigar together. And so that's what, well, not exactly, we don't read that, but they sat down to have a drink together, it says, okay? And so last week, we left off with Esther planning uh, a second 
banquet, if you recall. She already had one where she didn't uh, tell the king what she wanted, but she said, well, let's have another banquet. And so she says, let's have a second one and just you and me and Haman together at this banquet. And so that's where we are kind of picking up today. And again, it's going to be a flyover of it all. Now, if you're like me, you've had times in life where maybe the majority of things seem to be going really, really well and uh, smoothly, you know, that's a good thing when things are going smoothly, seem to be on track. Uh, and then you think about uh, there's some, a few things uh, that you feel inside uh, and your heart is glad about those things because they're all smooth and going well. You like those times of life? Anybody? Yeah, I think so. So, but then, but then there's something that happens and it begins to turn the tables on you and all of that joy and the gladness of heart that you have, the gladness of heart that you're feeling. And that happens in life. And this is where we pick up today. Haman has this happen to him in chapter 5. And so if you look at Esther 5, verse 9, it reads this. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. That's good, right? Joyful and glad of heart. But then Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate that uh, he neither rose nor trembled before him, and he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Like he went from joy and gladness of heart to wrath against Mordecai immediately. Hopefully that doesn't happen to you, but you know, you know, sometimes things do steal our joy away from us, right? Haman was glad to be invited to this second banquet. He's like, hey, it's just me and the king and the queen. It's going to be awesome, you know, just the three of us. I feel kind of like a million bucks right now. And so he felt like that for a moment until this Jew Mordecai, that was at the king's gate, didn't get up and bow down to him again uh, as he entered, right? Because that's what he had wanted everybody to do, and specifically Mordecai's this Jew, so that makes him mad, and he's not doing what he's supposed to, so that makes him more mad. And, uh, and so verse 10 tells us that Haman restrained himself to take any action in the moment, if you go on to read that. Uh, you know, he restrained himself, and frankly, that is another uh, way that we see the hand of God moving in the book of Esther because Haman was, it seems to me like he had a bit of a short fuse here, you know, went from really glad to wrath immediately. And so uh, it's, it's really an act of God to keep him from, you know, coming against Mordecai in that very moment. And it is a, the hand of God in play here. Because all of the situation wasn't worked out and all the pieces were not yet put in place for God's plan to be accomplished. And so that's what we find in this. And I said it last week and I'll say it again. God is not in a hurry to work his plan. You need to repeat that to yourself frequently. And I need to repeat that to myself frequently. God is not in a hurry to complete or work his plan all the way through. Right? We think days, weeks, months, and years. And we think days are short, but we think years are a long time away, right? I mean, our daughter turns, our youngest turns 25 today. Like, that's weird to me. You know, that's strange to me. I'm thinking, where did the time go? And, and so, you know, we think in days, 
weeks, months, and years. And God thinks in generations and generations, right? He looks generations out and generations beyond that. And if we have that much time left in this world, great. He's still thinking about that. If we don't and Jesus returns prior to that, amen to that. Anybody ready for that too? I'm ready. It's okay with me. So we think in these shorter terms as humans, but God is thinking generations. And we're like, work your plan out already, God. What's going on here? It's been five years, right? Or whatever, however much time it is. And he's like, well, I'm thinking about, you know, your great-great-great-grandchildren or something like that, right? So, Haman did what arrogant people do to cheer themselves up, right? Hopefully you don't do this. Uh, He sent for his friends and his wife, and he bragged about himself for a while, right? That's what we read in there. And he he brags about his riches, he brags about his family, he brags about his promotions at work. And, you know, he brags about how many honors he's had from his boss, the king. And so he's telling this group that he gathers at his home, he's telling them all about, you know, all of these things. And he's very braggadocious about it all, all right? And so, and it is said that pride is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the person who has it. (laughs) That's a fact, Jack, right? It's the only disease that makes everybody else sick except for the person who has it. And this was Haman. Uh, He was a man who needed the approval of others. He had to have the approval of others in this. If somebody didn't do what he thought they should do, he was mad about that one thing, even though he had lots to be glad at heart about, right? Because a great family and riches and promotions aren't a bad thing, right? It's just how you handle those things. And so here he is needing the approval of others and needing people to do exactly what he thinks, controlling them all. And I wonder on a side note here, if we are people who need the approval of others all the time, are you seeking the approval of other people all the time? And if so, maybe ask some deeper questions as to why, uh, because we don't need to have the approval of others all the time about everything about us. So, you know, do we have an inner security uh, or an inner insecurity? You know, a need to be recognized or honored or, or put up on a pedestal or that type of thing. Something for us all to think about because Haman was a man who needed this from other people all the time. And that's not always a healthy thing, right? Amen? So we see that Haman spread his own hatred towards Mordecai and the Jews to his wife and all of those who he had invited over. His bragging and talking about Mordecai and all these things that he hated. Are you the person that talks about all those things to your friends and the people who are in your uh, sphere of influence? Because if you are that person, people don't want to be around that. And if they are around that, um, sadly what happens is they become infected as well oftentimes by that. And so what we see here is that Haman had all his friends over, and he was talking smack about Mordecai and, uh, and, you know, talking about all those things. And they, Scripture says that they gave him the idea to build gallows to hang Mordecai on the very next day, right? Get these things up. Hey, I have an idea. And so had he not been sitting there spreading all of that around to them, do you think they would have suggested, hey, why don't you build some gallows and hang him on it, you know? Probably not. Probably not. And so, uh, you know, something to think about. 
how, how are you? What do you spread around with your sphere of influence? Be careful about that. As God would have it here, the king couldn't sleep that night. And those with great responsibilities often have a harder time sleeping. Maybe you've been in the, in the time or season of life where you've had great responsibility on your shoulders. And let me just tell you, uh, it's harder to sleep when, you know, Shakespeare, in fact, writes, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, maybe we're not all, uh, you know, wear a crown or that type of thing, but I would say that uh, on our heads, we do wear some heavy things at times, and many of us have different um, different burdens that we carry with us, different responsibilities that we carry with us, and they can be heavy, right? Most of us in this room maybe have, uh, you know, a, a marriage that you're working on and working in, and, you know, is it always 100% amazingly perfect and everything's working out great in it? Well, if we said yes, we probably wouldn't be completely honest, but there's some, there's are times where there's difficulties, right? And so maybe it's your kids or your family, uh, kids don't always do what you want them to do, even when they're grown, amen? <laughs> so <laughs> that's what happens. And so, uh, you know, maybe that's on your mind, or taking care of aging parents, maybe that's on your mind, or maybe you're aging yourself, and that's on your mind, and there's, you know, things, you're starting to feel things that you never felt before, because you're an age you've never been before, right? Anybody in here like that? It keeps happening, Right? And, uh, and maybe there's a heavy financial burden. I don't know what it is, but most of us in this room carry some sort of responsibilities that are heavy at times. And so I would, you know, I would just say, uh, you know, most of us have nights that can be sleepless, you know. And, and, and I would say this in it, come back to uh, prayer and turning it over to God in those moments of sleeplessness um, in our lives. And so the king here is sleepless. He can't sleep that night, and so sleepless in Susa, right? Maybe that's what, the name of this, uh, this third, um, the third one today. Anyway, so the king asked for the book of memorable deeds. Uh, that's how my Bible puts it. Maybe yours says the Chronicles or something like that. Uh, but mine says the book of memorable deeds, and so he asked for that to be read to him, and an interesting turn of events takes place here. Esther chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands upon King Ahasuerus. And the king said, with honor or distinction has been, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, well, let him come out in, bring him in. So Haman uh, came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Well, Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me, right? And he's thinking, I mean, I'm the man. And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be uh, brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden and, uh, 
and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square in the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Well, the providence of God is on display here, right? The providence of God is on display once again, as we see in this. Um, there could have been a ton of options that the king could have selected to do. He, that night when he couldn't sleep, he could have selected to do a ton. He could have said to his eunuchs, hey, bring me the Monopoly board, you know, put it down here. I want to play some Monopoly or, you know, some cards. Let's play, you know, some, something. I don't know. I don't play cards, so I don't know any card games. But, you know, he, he could have said, you know, Give me, bring me the royal tablet. I want to scroll through Twitter and see what's happening in the world or whatever, you know. He could have had a lot of things going on that, uh, that he could have chosen to do. And none of those that I just said. But he had many things at his disposal, right? He could have chosen a lot of different things, but he chose to have the book of memorable deeds brought to him, which I think is very interesting, wouldn't you say? And in the book, not only did he have the memorable deeds book brought to him, but as they're reading, what they find out is there's this part about Mordecai, right, that we just read about, and how he uncovered this plot to kill the king. And, and, and so all of these things kind of come together very interestingly. Now, that morning, Haman got up. Can you imagine Haman that morning after, you know, he had been spreading all his hate and then they built the gallows? They're like, he's like, gets up that morning, you know, he's ready to roll, you know, grabs his cup of coffee and heads out the door. You know, he's ready to go. He was in a good mood. He was feeling good. Went to the king and maybe he skipped uh, you know, the eggs and bacon and pancakes, you know, so he could just have a, grab an apple as he walks out the door, you know, he's headed down there. And when he gets to the king's court, he's ready to talk to the king about the gallows and Mordecai, get rid of him once and for all, right? And uh, so when he comes in there, he's ready to talk to him and the king calls him in first. And so we see here that uh, Haman is thinking, you know, he asks him these questions and, and Haman immediately is thinking, I'm the man, so... Of course the king is going to want to honor me. Who else is he going to want to honor? There's nobody else in the kingdom like me. And, uh, and so he was a little prideful there. And so he is thinking those things, and the king thinks what you have suggested is amazing. Like, that's exactly what I want to do. And so in verses 10 and 11, the king said to Haman, hurry, Take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Wow. Wow. Could you imagine him walking through town, you know, pulling Mordecai on this horse with a crown and the king's robe, screaming to everybody that, about how great Mordecai is and, and he's being honored by the king. I mean, what a disgraceful morning for him to have to honor this Jew who he just happily got up to see if he could go hang, right? Wow. So in God's providential plan, Mordecai had been honored. He had not been honored yet. Now, had he been honored five years, five years had passed since then. Had he been honored five years ago and already received his reward, 
He'd be hung right now, right? He'd be done. And so, but he had not been honored, and God's providential plan was working out here because his plans are greater than men's evil plans. God's providential plan is greater than men's evil plans. We need to know that. As Haman was seeking encouragement from his wife and friends afterwards, could you imagine how ashamed he must have felt? How mad he must have felt inside? Dude has a quick temper to begin with. And so here he goes back to his wife and his friend. He's like, you know, sulking and all that. And, you know, his wife actually has a little bit of a change of heart if you've read through this before. She's like, you know, if you're against Mordecai and God's with the Jews, you might be toast, buddy. I mean, basically, that's my translation of it. But uh, so he, as he's standing there, he's whisked off to this second banquet with Esther and King Ahasuerus. Things are beginning to shift now, and God's plan is turning uh, the tables on Haman's plan that seemed so well worked through to this point, right? He was doing good until now. All of a sudden, things are shifting. There's a, a, a change, a transfer. Uh, the tables are being turned. And, uh, and, so, um, and so, anyway, so Esther makes her petition to the king here at this second banquet. So Esther 7, 1 through 6, we read this. So the king and Haman went into a feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day... As they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold for... We have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of, to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy. This wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Wow. Another, you know, this, this story is filled with wow moments, right? So God gives Esther the strength to deliver her plea to the king, and she does it wisely. She's really wise about how she presents it to the king. And uh, which I found interesting, like she didn't just come right out the first banquet, even the second banquet didn't just come right out and blurt it all out. Uh, she appealed to the king's self-interest because, listen, the king would have thought about himself probably all the time more than anybody else, right? And so she's pointing out, listen, if we would just have been sold into slavery, that'd be one thing, but you would be losing out, king, you know, these, you would be losing out. And, and so she appeals to him and to what he might lose, his self-interest, and, uh, and that was wisely done. So she appealed to the favor also that she had with the king uh, while she had not been in his presence for a little while. There's no reason to think that he didn't care about her anymore or, or want her to be uh, around him anymore. Uh, so she wisely navigates this plan and, uh, and the king says, who is this guy and where is he right now? She points him out, this nasty, vile, evil, wicked Haman, right? And, um, 
something like that anyway. And so, uh, and yet it's interesting because here's the king saying, who and where, you know, tell me now. And yet the guy signed off on this, right? He gave his signet ring to Haman to go do whatever he felt was best. So had he been paying attention a little bit more, maybe he would have remembered this stuff. So the king asks, uh, and she says, this wicked Haman. At this uh, point, at the last part of chapter 7, the king stands in his anger and he goes out to the garden. He goes outside, he goes out to the garden, presumably to cool down because it said in his anger or something like that, uh, arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went out to the garden to uh, think about things. And, you know, what I got to thinking about is as he went out there and started cooling down a little bit, he probably started thinking, you know, <laughs> uh, I gave my ring to Haman, and he told me he was going to do away with some people in the kingdom. I wonder if he began to think about that and think, oh, crap. Uh, you know, I, actually, I can't say that maybe in church, but <laughs> he said, oh, crud, you know, uh, maybe, I, maybe that's on me. Maybe, I sh- maybe I'm part of this deal. I wonder if maybe he started thinking about that. And so, anyway, when, uh, when he returns from the garden uh, what he sees is Mordecai or Haman in there begging for his life from Queen Esther. In fact, he, it says he falling on the couch where the queen was. So he was falling down on the couch to beg for his life from Esther. And the king walks in at that very moment and he sees him what he thinks is assaulting uh, Esther and you know, as much as he had just cooled down out in the garden, uh, he heated back up again when he saw that, right? And so he's like, you know, he's just mad, cool, you know, so here he is. And so he fell on the couch. The king sees that. He becomes enraged, and he sends out Haman. He hears about the, the gallows that had been built that, you know, for Mordecai, and he says, hey, I got an idea. You know, let's take Haman out and get rid of him on those same gallows that he had built for Mordecai. And so, thus ends Haman, right? Uh, So he was executed on that. The tables turned 180 degrees on Haman, right? From what he felt like was going to happen and the plan he had in place. And ultimately, he lost his life because of the pride of his own life and the hatred towards the Jews. And let me just say, a thirst for pride power, and prestige is self-destructive. Don't ever thirst for pride or power or prestige towards yourself because it's self-destructive. No matter how rich he was, and Haman was a rich man, second command had all this, this, you know, home and all this money. He'll tell you all about it, right, if you listen. So he had all of this stuff. He was a wealthy man, but it doesn't matter how much he had. It could not save his life. None of it could save his life. And after his death, Mordecai, we see, is promoted over the house of Haman and given the king's signet ring at that point. Now, it's still not over. It's still not over, right? That is, uh, we're we're somewhere in chapter uh, 8, and there's 10 chapters, as I said, in here. So it's still not over. So you know, you might think, okay, well, yay, it's, they're saved. Haman's gone now. But here's the thing about in Persia, a law that was signed off by the king was permanent. It could not be 
just taken, you know, stricken off of the books. Uh, it was permanent. And in fact, even the king himself would have to abide by that law once it was put in place. So once it was done, it couldn't be broken. And so because the Jews were scheduled to be killed uh, on a certain date, what they had to do is put a new law into effect that would counteract the other law that was put. Does this sound familiar? Like this is, this is the way too many places work, right? Just laws after laws after laws trying to get rid of other things. But, uh, but because they were scheduled to be killed and they couldn't uh, take that law back, they had to create another law. And so the king says to uh, Mordecai and to Esther, write a new law, right? Here's my, here's my ring. Mordecai, you got my ring. Write a new law, sign off on it, get it out to the different uh, provinces in our kingdom. And so they did that. And Haman's law was that all the Jews were going to be killed in all the province and they couldn't defend themselves. And then all their stuff was going to be taken. All their land and stuff was going to be taken. That was Haman's law that he signed in. Well, Mordecai and Esther signed a law that says, well, we can't redo that. We can't take that one back. But our new law will say every Jew has the right to defend themselves on that day. And so they write this new law and they say, you know, you can defend yourself against anybody who comes against you. And so that law was then written and stamped with the king's ring and sent out to all the the provinces uh, in the kingdom. Well, as you can imagine, Jews all over the place were happy about that. Like, okay, we're going to be able to defend ourselves. And so, uh, and so that's exactly what happened. And, they de- and it says, in fact, in here that many people saw Esther and Mordecai and, and how, you know, what happened with them. And, and it says in here that many people declared themselves Jews throughout the entire province. They were like, if you're a Jew, I'm a Jew, right? You're like, I like what's going on here. What just happened is pretty amazing. So if you're a Jew, I'm a Jew. So, uh, so they became Jews by, you know, just by declaring themselves that, uh, which they could do in, in the kingdom there. And so many people did, which meant there were less people who would actually fight against them throughout the entire province, right? You know, the evangelist Billy Sunday once said, if you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And it's true. You know, people saw what happened with Mordecai and Esther. They're like, man, that's, that's amazing. Like that, you know, and, and I do wonder sometimes if people in our world might, uh, might be drawn towards Christ more if they saw believers filled with more maybe manifest joy in their daily living, right? In, in our daily lives, maybe if we had a little bit more joy that was manifest in our daily living, people would say, what is it about them? You know, what's going on with them? You know, a peace in, in difficult situations. Oftentimes people can see that, sense it. You know, they, they think it's you, but really you're just standing in the peace of, of Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, those are things that people are drawn to. And I wonder if we had more of that in our lives. I wonder if people might be drawn to ask more questions. Uh, just something that maybe we should think about. You know, if we're happy and we know it, let's tell our faces, right? Okay. Eight months more pass. So here they are. Eight months more pass, and there's an uprising because D-Day had arrived. But Mordecai's decree had changed this D-Day. It was going to be Destruction Day, but now it became Deliverance Day, okay? So Esther 9, 1 says this. Now in the 12th month, which is the month of Adar... On the 13th day of the, uh, of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, 
on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse happened. The reverse occurred, and Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. Now, if you're thinking you're going to get to attack the Jews and kill them, uh, and, and you're against them, and then an, another, a new edict comes out and says, well, but they can defend themselves, are you going to be a little bit less apt to go after them? You know, you're probably thinking, well, maybe I won't now that they can defend themselves, you know. Uh, so there were probably less people that were going to come against them um, and everything. But, but what we do see in, in chapter 9 is that some did, and there were lives that were lost, and the Jews were victorious, ultimately, as you read through the, the rest of this book. Um, and, and they were victorious, and they feasted, and they rested, uh, setting this date every year for Purim to be celebrated in the years to come. And you can read that in chapter 9 as well. But God had saved the Jewish people through a great providential plan worked out over the years. There was a divine reversal here, right? There was a divine reversal in this. And so it was very interesting. It went from destruction to deliverance. But also, it was kind of more than deliverance, right? It was a promotion for Mordecai and, and, and the Jewish people all together in the kingdom. Mordecai was now a powerful man um, whom God provided the position for and, and became well-known all throughout the, the entire kingdom, it tells us. To quote my study book, Encountering the Old Testament, uh, about Esther's theological themes, Bill Arnold and Brian Bayer, those are the two that authored this book, they write this. Some would suggest it is futile to speak of theological ideas in Esther, since God is nowhere mentioned in the book. But the story contains a remarkable series of coincidences, right? Esther happened to be selected as Vashti's successor. Mordecai happened to uncover the plan to assassinate the king. Ahasuerus happened to have insomnia on the night before Haman planned to kill Mordecai. The selection of royal chronicles to be read to the king that night happened to contain the report of Mordecai's good deed. These coincidences are not limited to the realm of God's people. Persian kings and royal officials also move and act under the unseen hand of the great sovereign Lord. Though God is not mentioned, He is the central character of the book, even more than Esther and Mordecai. And this makes the book of Esther extremely relevant for our day, for God is still sovereignly at work. You know, it is difficult because this series is kind of, you know, people's lives and what we can learn from it, and there are some things in it, but the book of Esther is so different because I believe what I just read is that God is the primary individual that we're really reading and, and finding out about in this, right? And so uh, I, I think we should take great, uh, you know, great joy in the fact that God is sovereignly at work with a providential plan no matter what the circumstances around us might look like. And sometimes they look bleak. I don't know if you've noticed or not, okay? But sometimes they can look bleak. But God is sovereign and providentially at work all the time, whether it's through believers or unbelievers. He's always at work. The king, King Ahasuerus, was not a godly man, was not a godly king, but God used it, right? In every part of this, 
book, in this story, you see God at work. And we should walk away from this feeling pretty good about God himself. So, God's always at work in the world and in your life, whether you feel it or not. Even a life that seeks God daily will experience problems. Amen. Somebody in here, say amen. God's plans will not be thwarted by the existence of evil actions. They will not be. God will use unconventional people and means to accomplish His ends. Beautiful things can come from times of hardship. And the time to follow God is now in every moment of life. Those are our takeaways. Those can be takeaways that we can, can take with us and say these are true about our lives and about who God is. And just take a moment. Focus on God. Focus on who He is. And uh, not, not so much your, you know, your circumstances in life or the, the negative things of your life or these things, but who is God and how is He at work? Maybe you can even think during this time, how is He at work? How can I see Him doing things that are good, even in the midst of some of the things in my life that aren't maybe so good, but, you know, that it, from my perspective, aren't exactly how I would want them. But consider who God is and how He's working and moving in your life. God, we are grateful for how You move in our lives, the things that You move around and, and uh, put into place in just Your right timing. Uh, forgive us at times that we try to rush You and, and jump ahead of You and make things happen. Uh, and help us to be at peace when we look to you and we see what you're doing and we, uh, we follow you and we walk behind you and not try to jump ahead. So, Lord, keep our, help us to keep our eyes on you and what you're doing and, uh, and trust you in the midst of all that happens in our lives, to trust you in it, God. Lord, today, as always, if there's anybody far from you, Lord, we pray that you would draw them to yourself, Lord. Draw them to the beauty of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he presented and made on the cross uh, for each and every person, God, and that the way was made for all to come to him who would repent and turn to him. And Lord, and we know that as we do that, what your word tells us is that we become, uh, we become reconciled to you and you bring us into your family and then you teach us each and every moment for the rest of our lives what you want and how you want us to, to live and, and be and, and operate in you. And so we are grateful that you do those things, Lord. Thank you for today. God bless uh, each and every person that's made the time and commitment to come here to be with family and uh, be encouraged today. And my prayer is that all of us would be encouraged uh, by offering our praises in song to you and by getting into your word and learning and listening to your Holy Spirit as we do so. So Father, we're grateful and we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram 
at Family Life Church Newburn. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today and God bless you as you pursue Him.